y'all doing well? Um, Christmas Day, it's good to see you all here. This is awesome, awesome to have uh, so many people here on Christmas Day. I, uh, I got up at 5.45, I was waked up at 5.45. My children were, we have, we're in a tiny little apartment and we told them that they can't put like, put like some stools. You said you can't come past this, this place because I don't want you to see what's out there. So they were texting us at 5.45 telling us that they're ready for, for us to get up and told them to go back to sleep. And guess who won that battle? It wasn't me. Um, anyway, uh, we have been studying through the book of Acts, and so I thought it would be good to stay with the same writer. Uh, and so we're going to be in Luke. So um, Luke wrote Acts, and I'd like to look at Luke today. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to a familiar passage. You probably heard Linus read it to you every Christmas, but we're going to look at it. Um, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Luke chapter 2. Um, we'll be in starting at verse 1. Um, as, as Jordan said, uh, for those that have children, uh, there are plenty of things that our children's director, Carrie, has put together for you back there. Um, and so <clears throat> feel free to get as many of those as you want and give them some candy. And um, they, can, they can work on that as we're doing the sermon. They, of course, are free to participate in the sermon as well. And uh, there's also an overflow room that you can hear everything I'm saying back in the back outside those doors on the right. And if you want to, if they're getting rowdy, you can, you can go in there. They can, you know, uh, hear everything that's going on in here. So um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. As we've been going through the Advent season, um, this, these last uh, four weeks or so, we've been talking each week about the, the, the things that Advent points to. Advent points to... Um, where Jesus brings us peace. And so we talked about Jesus bringing us peace, Jesus bringing us hope, Jesus bringing us joy, Jesus bringing us love. And then today, um, instead of a concept, we're going to talk about a person. Jesus brings himself. And so while he brings those other things, peace, joy, love, and hope, and those are good things, the best thing that he can bring to us is, is himself. And so as we're looking at Luke chapter 2 today, the big idea is we're, we're wanting to look at the things... Um, we're wanting to actually understand what it means when Jesus brings himself to us. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, um, and we will see all the things uh, that we are gracious recipients of as his children uh, by him bringing himself to him. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to start at verse 1, and we'll go through 14. If you would, <clears throat> and if you're able, why don't we stand as we read the word? Uh, we'll start at Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 1. I'll read it and pray, and then we'll, we'll look at it. So look at verse 1 with me. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, now, now picture this with great volume, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pl- pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we thank you so much for your word. We ask that as we all uh, look into your word now and, and uh, you, your Holy Spirit is here that you would teach us, that you would equip us, that you would comfort us, that you would convict us, that you would give us great resolve to want to live our lives for Christ and in Christ alone. If anyone here doesn't know Christ, we pray that you would quicken their hearts this morning, that they would become a believer in Jesus on Christmas Day. Lord, we love you. I ask for your help. There's no way that I could ever preach without a filling of the Spirit, so I pray for your help. I am always, as always, when I preach, desperate for your filling and presence to speak through me. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So, uh, there's, there's a few things I want you to see here. First, as we're talking about Jesus bringing himself, I want you to see some things, some attributes about Jesus, and then after that, I want you to see uh, three specific ways that you can know Jesus. So, in verse 1, if you'll look with me, it says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar to Augustus that all the world should be registered. It's getting rather large, the empire was getting large, and they wanted to know who exactly they had in their, in their area, how many people they had. This was the first registration when Carnus was governor of Syria, and it said, and all went to be registered. So, Joseph and Mary, good citizens, obeying the law, they, they weren't from there because, as we know, they had, they had left Nazareth. They had gone um, north over to, uh, to Na- they had left Bethlehem and gone north over to Nazareth. And they were living there. And it says, and Joseph went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth. So he was up in Galilee, um, north, but it says he's going up. That's because uh, the topography was that he was traveling north uh, or up a hill, even though he was geographically going south. And it says that he went um, to Judea, the city of David, because, which was called Bethlehem, because he was in the house and lineage of David. So he was from there, and so he's going there. And then it says, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So um, betrothed is an engagement. Um, it's kind of like, you know, whenever you're engaged here, but it's a little bit different. So if you want to break off an engagement here, you can just be like, we're done. But in this particular time, if you want to break off an engagement, you actually had to get a divorce. And so that's why we see in Matthew 1 that he was wanting to divorce her quietly, even though they were only betrothed. So uh, a, a, an engagement or a betrothal was a bigger deal in the first century. And so he was betrothed. And this is in, if you, if you know the story, he had, he had found out that she was with child. But, and he was, as we know from Matthew 1, wanting to break it off. And so as we, we're understanding, this means that she's with child, but with child as a virgin. And so we see here that he is with Mary, betrothed, with child. And so um, if we take a kind of a, a bigger step back and get a big picture of all of the scriptures, of what that, that's actually telling us, um, there's a big thing that we need to see here about Jesus. And so it's pointing to Christ. It's pointing to something specific. Uh, we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago. Or I think it was last week. So in Isaiah chapter 7, Verse 14, some 700 years before Jesus was born, it says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. Now, in, in the Hebrew in Isaiah, this just means young woman. So, it, Betula, I think is the, the Hebrew. And it says, it could be read, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. The young woman shall conceive and bear to a son. Bear, uh, and bear a son. But that's not really a sign. Um, 
to, to say, look, there's a young woman who's pregnant. It's not really a sign. That's been happening since Eve, right? So that's not really something that stands out. So when we read the Hebrew, if we're wanting to understand it as a sign, oh, look, a pregnant woman. Well, okay, that's not really a sign. Almost every woman in the world will experience this at some point, right? Um, almost. We know that there's exceptions. So a sign then of this would be not the reading of young woman, but virgin. So in ESV, it's getting the, the full understanding of it correctly. Behold, there's a sign, a virgin that's conceived a child. Okay, that's a sign. That's, that's not normal. So when we see over here in Luke chapter 2, to be registered with his betrothed who was with child, it wasn't just someone who's not married yet that's pregnant. It's someone who's not married yet that's pregnant but a virgin. So that's a big deal. So the first thing I want you to see when we're talking about Jesus is see the attributes uh, about Jesus. Is Number one is see the sign. See the sign. Number one, see the sign. And that's, that's helping us understand that that comes from uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it, it coupled with Matthew 1 and the birth narrative of Matthew. And as we're, as we're looking at Luke 2, as we look of all of Scripture, we need to see the sign. And the reason why we need to see the sign is understand that <clears throat> some 700 years before, and even long before that, this, this birth of, of Jesus has been the plan all along. It has been prophesied of, of, of old. And so, see the sign, and therefore, when you see the sign, believe. This sign isn't just to say, oh, okay, God did something different. Okay, whatever. Instead, when we see that, only God can do that. We know that she was pregnant because of the Holy Spirit um, putting a baby inside of her. Therefore, we should see the sign, and if we're not a believer in Christ, we should take pause and say, well, that's actually a pretty big deal. That means God exists and God has done something. That should cause me as a skeptic, as, a, as someone, as an atheist possibly, uh, to see that and say, well, I need to stop and investigate this because virgins don't get pregnant ever. So first specific attribute about Jesus is see the sign of his pregnant mother and believe and, and investigate and see that this is a huge, huge thing going on. Next, as you're going, it says in verse 6, and um, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So as the days were completed, as they had traveled uh, down into the city for them to be registered, she was actually pregnant, but they're still going to make the journey because they're good citizens. And as they do do this, it came time for her to actually give birth. And it says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, that's Jesus, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. So if you've, if you've watched any stories, you, you know the story. You know, they went to the hotel. Hey, can we get a room? Got no, got no rooms, but you can stay in the stable. And the hotel innsman, he's always like the mean guy that sticks him with the animals. That's not actually the case. He wasn't a mean guy. He's actually given him a place. And when hotels uh, were full and they needed overflow, they would send people over there with the animals. Common. So the, don't, don't think the innkeeper is like this horrible person at all. He's not. He's, he's actually a good guy. He's like, given him a place. You can go over here. Um, likely, this might be controversial for y'all. Likely Jesus wasn't born in December. I know that's, I know that's, that's controversial. I know that's controversial. But likely he, wasn't, <laughs> likely he wasn't born in December. And likely it wasn't so cold. And so staying out there, it's not like, oh, we're freezing. Thank goodness we have this cow to warm up to. Like, they were fine. Um, but here's the deal. I want you to, I want you to see, as we're seeing this, I want you to... Uh, 
I want you to focus in on verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. Laid him in a manger. So, Jesus, who is God, born of a virgin, on this particular day, whenever he's born, his mother takes swaddling clothes and wraps him up. And so, this... this, this uh, place that they were staying is more than likely like a cave kind of hewed into the side of a mountain. It's like a little cave and they're in there. And inside the cave, it was probably a, a, a little shelf maybe from rock and horses would come up and eat out of it. And so she takes the baby and sticks him on this little horse trough shelf for him to sleep. This is astounding. He is a baby and they are poor, but he's God. We wouldn't expect God to be laying in a horse trough from heaven to a horse trough, alliterated for you there. That's special Baptist on, on December 25th. <laughs> Heaven to a horse trough, that's humility. So the second sign is this, see the humility. See the, this is the, the plan from eternity past, that he would be born to this tiny little poor family and leave the glories of heaven. Before the incarnation, before Jesus became man, um, the second person of the Trinity still existed, right? Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Christ, he's always lived. And so just picture leaving the glories of heaven, sitting on the throne room, and then humbling himself, becoming man, and being willing to be born into flesh, which is not necessarily great. And then, of all the glories that he was receiving forever and ever, from all the angels singing forever to him, to be laying and a bed of hay that animals eat out of. That's unbelievable humility. So the first thing I want you to see is see the sign and believe. The second thing I want you to see is see the humility of Jesus to enter into human history and do this. And be amazed. Let, let, me, let me read it from Paul's perspective later on as he would write in the book of Philippians. Regarding the amazing humility of Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul sums up this humility in this way. Um, starting... In verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of God, so before he was ever born, he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he didn't stay only God. Instead, he was willing to leave heaven, though he not, didn't lose his deity, chose to withhold some of his attributes of deity. And when he did, became man and says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto. He decided not to stay only God, but made himself nothing. Made himself nothing. So the incarnation, Paul describes, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, therefore God says, becoming man is, is Jesus Christ making himself nothing. That's unbelievable humility. Made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. So becoming a baby is becoming the, taking the form of a servant. And then it says, being born in the likeness of, of men, being found in human form, be, he humbled himself. So this is all pointing to the amazing humility that, that he would become man. Humbled himself. And then not only that, not just humility to be born, but the further humility to live a life of 33 years to go to the cross. Humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, as we read verse 7 and we say, She wrapped him up in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. 
there's a bigger, greater picture being painted for us of the amazing humility of Jesus to leave heaven to go to a horse trough. So the first attribute, see the sign and believe. The second attribute is see the humility and be amazed. So that's, that's the first act, if you will. Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem to be registered and they have Jesus. Second act, act two, starts in verse eight. Very close, says in, in verse eight, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. About, uh, when you're a shepherd, not a whole lot of, not a whole lot of interesting things happening. Uh, day to day, it's very monotonous. It's just sheep. <laughs> sheep, sheep, here they are. Keep them, keep them corralled. That's, that's what we do. And so this is a, a major game changer in the life of a, of a shepherd. It says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. This, this breaks the monotony of only sheep. To have a huge angel appear in the sky. Um, and when angels appear, it, it always must be some kind of like very scary deal. Because almost inevitably, the first words of the angel, whenever they speak to the person they appear to is, fear not, <laughs> don't be afraid. I know you're, you're freaking out right now, but I'm an angel from the Lord. But nevertheless, they always have to tell them, fear not. So the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they would have to tell us that too. We would all be shaking in our boots. Um, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. This is the euangelion. This is, this is the evangelium, if you will, uh, if we're going to transliterate. This is the gospel. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. So here, he's going to tell them the good news, which is that Christ is being born. Now, we have a fuller picture of this gospel as we look at it, and so... It's good for all of us to hear. I want to remind us all of this amazing, amazing good news. The bad news has to be told before you know good news. The bad news is that we're all sinners. Every one of us willingly chooses sin every day to our own, because we're born in the line of Adam, to our own spiritual death. And we must be forgiven. Every one of us knows and recognizes within our spirit there's a yearning inside of us, deep down inside of us, for that to be gone. We want forgiveness. We want the, the sinfulness that's inside of us whenever we sin against somebody um, to be gone. That's why whenever you sin against somebody, you feel like you need to go say you're sorry to them. You feel like you need to say, some of you do, some of you don't. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Pride can get in the way, and that's also sin. But we're all sinners. And every one of us desperately wants to be forgiven. And the only way that this can happen... The only way that it can happen is either you'd never sinned and you lived a perfect life or God decides to forgive you. But because he's holy, he can't just say, ah, it's all right. Don't worry about it because then he's not God anymore. The moment he just says, like we say to each other, you don't have to pay me back. It's fine. Forget it. He ceases to be God because he's holy. And he cannot just wage a magic, uh, wave a magic wand and say, don't worry about it. We can do that, but we're not God and we're not holy. But he cannot do that. He has to have payment for sin. He has to. So there's only one, only one way it can happen. The only way that we can be forgiven is that payment has to happen. Now, if we can make the payment, then we're good. But we can't make the payment. No one can make the payment for forgiveness of sin. Somebody perfect has to make the payment to a holy God. 
So the only way that we can be forgiven of sin is for someone to live a perfect life for us and take the payment for us. And then we can be forgiven. And that's only if they would say, hey, what I want you to do, God, is let me take all the payment. I'll take all your wrath, all your, all your judgment, and I'll, I'll absorb it all. And then my perfect perfection, righteousness, perfect life that I've lived, I'll give to them. We'll, we'll make this trade, and then you can count them as righteous. You can count them as fully paid up. And then you can be forgiven of all your sin, and you can, you can go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. It's the only way it can happen. And that's what happened. That's what the, the birth of Jesus is all about. Matthew chapter 1 tells us this way. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, or Joshua, or Yeshua, or he will save his people. Salvation. If your name is Joshua, it means salvation. The Lord saves. She will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Don't miss this. God didn't come on Christmas Day to save good people. He came to save his people. We're all sinners. He came to save his people. Nobody's good. He didn't came to bring good people to heaven because none of us are. He came to save his people. He will save his people from their sins, Matthew 121. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear witness or, and bear a son. They will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. So this is the good news. So when they say they're bringing us good news... Jesus died for our sins. And if you would believe, if you would believe, then you can be forgiven. As it says in John 3.16. I want to read it to you. I went over this verse yesterday. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, and that is all-encompassing, indiscriminate invitation to every person that's ever lived. Whoever believes, whoever believes in him will not perish will not receive death, will not receive condemnation, will not receive um, the penalty for their sin, but will receive life, eternal life. So back to the text. She's bringing good news, and I just wanted to make sure every one of us knew this good news, the full, all-encompassing good news of Christ, the story of why he came. The angel says to them, and they're quaking in their boots, they're, you know, they're nervous, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy. Let's not miss the great joy. Good news of great joy. I think we can all understand why it's great joy. Because of what I just said. You don't have to spend eternity separated from God. Instead, you spend eternity forgiven, knowing Christ, loving Christ, being with him forever. Great joy will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David... And then he gives these three descriptors. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. We're coming back to that. And this will be a sign for you. We'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel. So there was this one angel talking to them. And you can just, you can just picture it. So he's telling them all this. And all of a sudden he kind of backs up. And then it's like, whoosh, lights up the sky, right? And then it's just literally a multitude of the heavenly host. It's just like, as far as the eye can see... Angels everywhere. It's like all the stars came down and joined the angel, and they're all there. Now, sheep, watching sheep, seeing sheep, seeing sheep, sheep. That's all you're doing. And then all of a sudden, that happens. And then the sky is filled with angels. 
that breaks the monotony of trying to keep sheep corralled, right? So the, the very cool thing is they break from their everyday vocation and become evangelists. They, they don't say, well, this was a great day. Let's go back to the sheep. If, as we read the, the rest of it, they say, we got to go tell people about this. And it says, glory to God in the highest. <clears throat> you can see that in verse 17, by the way. And they made known the things that they had, they had seen um, and, and, and following. Uh, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for, for all they had seen and heard as they had been told. So they become worshipers and they become evangelists. And probably they kept their vocation. But they also added to it worshipers and, and, and evangelists. So anyway, back to 12. We'll go to 12. And this will be a sign for you. Uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes line. And suddenly, here it is, verse 13. A multitude of the heavenly host praising God saying. So as I, as I wanted to point out, um, it wasn't just one, it's a multitude. And they're all singing at the top of their lungs. And they can all sing well. It's not like the Chambers household where we might have a couple that can sing in close to tune. And the rest of us are way out. When we sing our, our, our family devotions, um, most of the family devotion when we sing is the children making comments under their breath about how dad's out of key. But... I say, let's just sing the song. Anyway, here, they're all singing loud. They're all singing in key. And it's the volume, the sheer volume. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So, I want you to see the sign and believe. I want you to see the humility of Jesus and be amazed. And I want you to see the glory. The glory of Jesus. And give him your life. I want you to see the glory of Number three, and give him your life. Now, um, whenever you won't have um, in your life the exact same uh, instance where you get to see glory like like the shepherds. But nevertheless, you'll still have multiple opportunities in your entire life to see glory. Multiple times. All throughout your life. The Lord will reveal to you just how amazingly powerful he is. Just how expansive he is. When I sit on my deer stand and my children are sleeping beside me as we're looking for deer. (laughs) Because they can't stand it. But they go anyway. And I'm just looking at the vast expanse of creation. Romans 1 teaches me that it's screaming out to me the glory of God. Psalm 19 tells us that. I mean, all of creation, seeing your children born... Experiencing the wonders of marriage. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Eating steak can still be an experience of experiencing glory. These are just simple things. Glory is everywhere. And we want to not just see the glory in those things, but push through those to see that they're all helping us and wanting us to understand to glorify Jesus. So see the glory like here and give him your life. Now, I want to key in on verse 11. Because there's three things, um, three specific ways I want you to know Christ. Look at verse 11. For unto you, and that's, that's talking to the shepherds, but this is, I want, you to, I want you to say, okay, you, as in right in here in Rock Hill at Remedy Church. You, I want you to know Christ in these three ways. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I want to... Look at each one of these, and then we'll, um, we'll conclude. The first is, I talked about the gospel. Do you know him as Savior? 
Do you know him as the one that died for your sins, took on Satan's sin and death for you, you believed and trusted in him, and you have been forgiven of your sin? Do you know him as your Yeshua, your Joshua, your Savior? Do you know him as your Savior? Will you trust him today as Savior if you don't? Right now, this moment, he died for you, for you to be forgiven of those sins that I just pointed to before and you know that live in your life. Do you know him as Savior? The next one is, do you know him as Christ? Do you know him as the Christ? And what does that mean? As we read the scriptures, the the word Christ is pointing us to as the word Messiah. The Messiah. This means, do we know him as the one from from the scriptures from Genesis on who have always been prophesied and told about as old? Do we understand and know him as the Messiah? The one who is promised to be. And so when we wonder, you know, we all have these moments where we look at Christianity and we say, well, they all kind of have like the same thing. Like Christianity has our beliefs, they have these beliefs. And you kind of, in these moments, start wondering, maybe you don't, but maybe you do. Is this legitimate? Is this real? Like how come the other ones say that they're right too and we say we're right? Maybe, maybe they're just as right as us. No, no, no. That's not the case. When we know him as Christ, the Messiah, the one who's been prophesied, no other religions like this, the one that's been prophesied of old, the one who has been told that he is coming and fulfills every single prophecy in the Old Testament, pointing to no one could fulfill the birth, the virgin birth of his mother and the resurrection, which changes everything. It's what makes Christianity distinctly Christian. Everything hinges on the God-man being resurrected. That's knowing him as Messiah. Knowing him as the only way to salvation. No one else offers salvation. Everyone offers a work-based religion. Jesus offers salvation freely through belief. Know him as Messiah. Someone that... As Second Peter says, <clears throat> I don't want to misquote it. Second Peter chapter three says it this way. I'm sorry, First Peter chapter three, not Second Peter. First Peter chapter three says that we are always prepared. We're always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you, because you know him as Messiah. You don't just you're not just saved, but after you're saved, you know him. You read the scriptures. You know who he is. You understand the prophecies. Not perfectly. You'll never know him perfectly. I don't know him perfectly. No one knows him perfectly. No one. Billy Graham doesn't know him perfectly. Or whoever you think is the best theologian in the world. No one knows him perfectly. But you you continually seek and understand. And every time you you study and every time you see, you're, you're more convinced that he's the Messiah. He's not just your Savior. He's the Messiah. The Christ. And so, when that happens... When when he's your savior, you trust him. Whenever he's your Messiah, whenever he's your Christ, you share him. You can't stop telling about the hope that you have inside of you. This isn't a quiet deal for you. This isn't a keep this thing to myself and don't ruffle any feathers thing. Everyone needs to know how to be saved because no one else can save but Jesus. And so when he's your savior, you trust him as your savior. But when he's your Messiah, your Christ, you share him. You can do this today. Whenever you leave here, 
It's 12 o'clock. For the next 12, it's Christmas. If there ever is a segue <laughs> to say, hey, uh, it's Christmas. It has the word Christ in it. You know anything about Christmas? Like, do you know what Christmas is all about? I mean, if there's ever a day to be able to share your faith with somebody, this is a pretty good one. They're likely going to listen. And you never know, the Lord could quicken their heart and they could believe today. So when he's your Savior, you trust him. When he's your Christ, you share him. And the last one is, born in this day, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The third way I want you to know Christ. I want you to know Christ in all these ways. Now, this third one bumps up and destroys the Southern cultural Christianity. Because Southern cultural Christianity knows him as Savior, just pray this prayer, knows him as Messiah, because I believe it. I believe we're, we're the best. I believe we're number one. I'm an American, so we're number one. And I'm a Christian, so we're number one. And that's the way it is. Put up the flags. And like, but what about Lord? What about Lord? He's got to be the one that calls the shots in your life, not you. So this third one, knowing him as Lord, bumps up against everything that I've grown up in in the South against cultural Christianity. That I don't just get to know him as Savior and get to do anything I want with my life. I get to know him, the only way I get to know him as Savior is if I know him as Lord. And he calls the shots. So I'll say it this way. If I know him as Savior, I trust him. If I know him as Christ, Messiah, I share him. If I know him as Lord, I obey him. I obey him. He tells me what to do. And with everything inside of me, with the Holy Spirit inside of me, because I want to, not because I have to, as an act of worship, I want to do what he says. I want to do what he says. He's my Lord. He's the master of my life. I want you to not miss this. He's talking about a baby, a newborn, a newborn. He is the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. He's the one that's receiving all the worship. So as the angels and the shepherds become worshipers here, we need to be worshipers. And as worshipers, we know him as Lord. I want you to consider, if you, if you can't find it within you to reason why that Jesus would become your Lord, consider the power he has. Like, you should, you should worship him, but consider this power. The, I cannot do this. You cannot do this. He created the womb that would enable his development as a baby. That's pretty amazing. If you can do that, you're God. And you deserve to be worshipped. I can't do that. You can't do that. Jesus created the very womb that would enable his development as a baby. No one did that for their mom except for Jesus. That's reason alone to say, he's Lord, he deserves to worship. But so much more. So much more. He saved us. He saved us. That's the reason why we can worship him. So, do you know him as Savior? Do you know him as Christ? Do you know him as Lord? All of creation in this text, the angels and the shepherd and the people are bringing glory to God. When the announcement happens, worshipers are made. When the announcement happens, worshipers are made. And he is inviting us to know him as Savior and Christ and Lord. If you don't know him, trust in him today. If you want to know how to know him, talk to me after the service. I'd love to talk to you. I want to close with this, and this is so beautiful. This is a perfect segue into the Lord's Supper. This is Charles Spurgeon. Whenever preaching a Christmas Eve service, 
apparently his Christmas Eve service was not on a Saturday because he wasn't going to see his people the next day. And he's talking to them about tomorrow. He's talking to them about Christmas Day. And this is on Christmas Eve what Charles Spurgeon tells his congregation on Christmas Day he wants them to do. He says to his, his believers, Christians, feast. Feast, Christians, feast. You have a right to feast. Go to the house of feasting tomorrow. Celebrate your Savior's birth. Do not be ashamed to be glad. You have a right to be happy. Solomon says, go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart. For God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments always be white, and let thy head lack no ointment. Religion was designed to make your pleasures less. Let, religion was, was designed to make your pleasures less. Recollect that your master ate butter and honey. Go your way. Rejoice tomorrow. But, that's for us today. In your feasting, think of the man in Bethlehem. Let him have a place in your hearts. Give him the glory. Think of the virgin who conceived him. But think most of all of the man born, the child given. So for us today, Christmas and every day, as a, as a believer, is designed for us to feast. Feast. Not just on uh, the, the things that he gives us from food and family that should point us to Christ, but to feast on Christ. Think. Let him have his right place in your hearts. Give him the glory and think of the man born and the child that was given. In other words, know him as Savior, Christ, and Lord. We're going to go into a time of Lord's Supper where it's the, the great um, climax or, or fruition of thinking on the gospel where we remember and think, we use our minds to, to remember his body broken and his blood. The, the, the day of Christmas, the birth narrative, it finds its fruition in the cross and resurrection. So while we celebrate this, we should never ever just worship baby Jesus and not worship the risen Savior Jesus. The birth is always to push us to the cross and the resurrection. And so here we're going to go into a time of Lord's Supper where we are going to take the bread and the cup and remember all that he's done for us. And so uh, in these next few moments as we take the Lord's Supper, uh, if you're a believer in Christ, this time is for you. You can come to the front and the back. There's probably more in the back than in the front. Uh, Get the bread, get the cup, come back to your seat and wait for me. I'll come up and I'll lead us all as we take the Lord's Supper together. If you're not a believer in Jesus, I would ask that you observe and just watch and you'll hear and see the gospel uh, preached and proclaimed and tangibly observed. Uh, Taking the Lord's Supper does not save us. Uh, Taking the Lord's Supper is a reminder that we've already been saved, that Jesus' body was broken, that his blood was shed for us, and now because our belief in his taking the place for us, we're believers in Christ. And so we're going to do that together as a body, and then we'll worship. Um, I'm going to pray, and then whenever you're ready, you can come forward or to the back. Make sure you recognize that there's wine and juice. Pick the one you want. The, Lord, the Bible tells us not to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. So maybe you want to think and pray for a few moments, and then when you're ready, uh, you can go to the front or the back and get them and come back to your seat. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the Savior, the Christ, and the Lord. That you are our God. And that the incarnation or the birth always points all of our hearts and minds to the fact that you came, that you were willing, as Philippians 2 says, 
be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, you have been exalted at the right hand of the Father. And so, I pray that as we take the Lord's Supper today, our minds and hearts would be reminded of this good news, and our hearts would rejoice, and we would live our lives as worshipers. We pray this in Jesus' name.